Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Chamat Karsandu from Toronto in Canada, bringing you some fighting talk with a distinctly British flavour. And might not have been a UFC weekend this past weekend, Sandu, but loads going on. We have Bellator, we have PFL, and uh, we've got a full slate of action coming this weekend. So quite a lot to talk about this week. Yeah, it was kind of one of those rare weekends where there's no UFC event on, but Bellator and PFL kind of went head to head. And it was on Friday as well. It wasn't even on, so literally Saturday, as far as I know, there was no MMA happening apart from perhaps some regional shows like CFFC and things of that nature. So on Friday night, it was full on Bellator versus PFL. Um, I'll be honest, I was on SmackDown duty for, for BT Sport. So what I actually ended up doing, and it actually ended up working out perfect for me, the minute SmackDown ended, I had Bellator on my laptop because in Canada, they've been streaming on YouTube all of their events. I don't think they've got a, a legit broadcast partner in place yet uh, in Canada. So all of their events have been uh, streaming on YouTube. And then I just chucked on PFL on TV. So it was great. It was like dual screen, check out both events. And I kind of caught the last you know, few event, uh, fights on both cards and uh, most notably the main events that we're going to talk about. Yeah, it was a, it was a busy a busy weekend, if a, a slightly front-loaded weekend. We had uh, I was on duty for BBC Sport at Bellator, not at Bellator 264. I was uh, I was in front of my TV uh, in, in, in my office, but um, on duty nonetheless. Gagard Musassi, a guy who we know very well, a guy we've covered uh, many times on the European circuit, uh, while he was uh, competing for the UFC and latterly uh, with Bellator, uh, retained his middleweight title at the second time of asking, if you like. This this is the start of his second stint as middleweight champion. He won the belt in London uh, while we were there, beat uh, Rafael Carvalho to win the belt and uh, subsequently went on and lost it while we were there in London to uh, Rafael Lovato Jr. And... Uh, Looked like we didn't know what he was going to do. Is he going to move up to light heavy? What's he going to do? But he ended up sticking at middleweight, uh, won the belt back, uh, which was vacant because uh, Lovato um, had some health issues, which meant that he had to call time on his MMA career. And uh, the, the vacant belt was put up. Musasi, the former champion, went in there against Douglas Lima, the welterweight champion. He beat Douglas Lima pretty convincingly and uh, won the belt. This past weekend, he took on John Salter, not the most heralded, most well-known fighter, but very seasoned, very experienced, uh, has got octagon experience with the UFC, a lot more experience in Bellator and uh, a legit contender, very, very good on the ground. And uh, even though Salter was successful early on and getting Musasi down to the mat, Musasi just handled him, just handled him, did really well at shutting him down. And then uh, when he got the fight uh, into the third round, Salter's gas tank was pretty much dry. He, a sloppy shot. Musasi defended it easily. Uh, reverse position and finished him with ground strikes. Clinical stuff from Gago Musasi. And he, was give, he wasn't even given a moment of celebration hardly because they wheeled out Austin Vanderford, who actually sounded, did a great job. He was working the desk uh, for Bellator alongside uh, Josh Thompson and uh, did a really, really good job. And Jen Brown, who was hosting. And... Um, did a really good job as as a as a third man on the uh, on the desk, and uh, very entertaining. And then they brought him into the cage and they faced off straight away. So Musasi barely the sweat wasn't even dry 
on his own body after after the win. He hadn't had a chance to get in the shower. He's immediately got his next opponent. So uh, no rest for the wicked. And Misasi's going to have to fight another wrestle-heavy, grapple-heavy opponent next time out. Simon, Gegard Musasi is 11-1 and in the last five years. And that overlaps his run from the UFC right into Bellator. And, and the only loss is the one that you mentioned, Rafael Lovato Jr. During this period with Bellator, he's become a two-time middleweight champion. And the crazy thing is, is like, with regards to the number of fights he's had and how long his career has been thus far, he's still 36, which... You know, it's probably towards the latter end of his career, but by no means is he over the hill. He looked fantastic on the weekend. I think it's great that Austin Vanderford is going to be his next opponent because that's a full-on young gun who's been cutting his teeth in, in Bellator. People may know him more uh, famously for being uh, Mr. Van Zant, which, you know, he doesn't mind being called that. But obviously he is Paige Van Zant's other half. And so I'm sure that will help put uh, maybe a bigger spotlight for Gegard Musasi's next title defense. Because I felt like coming coming into the, the weekend, it was kind of like flying under the radar. There wasn't too much hype regarding uh, this Bellator event and, and Musasi's title defense. But yeah, this is great. And I'm sure he wants to stay as busy as possible as well. You know, I think anyone wants to be as busy as possible coming out of uh, the last you know, year and a half with COVID and the lack of events and the lack of opportunities to fight and what have you. But yeah, Gegard looked great. And the sooner they can get this uh, fight against Austin Vanderford on the books, uh, the better. And who knows, Simon? You know, they're going to London. You know, the, the world is opening up whilst at the same time, some parts of the world remain shut or you know, continue to kind of regress in, in many ways i don't i would love to see gegard masasi fight in the netherlands i think that would be so great for the fans i think i feel like he almost you know needs or deserves a moment like that uh to fight uh, in, in front of a kind of a home hometown uh, crowd or have that hometown feel uh, because he's such a great ambassador for the sport. And obviously, you know, we've covered his career extensively, especially during his European UFC run. Yeah, and taking a look at the Bellator uh, middleweight rankings, the question has to come, if he gets past Austin Vanderford, what's next for him? Because you take a look at the rankings right now, Musas is obviously at the top as a champion. Number one contender, John Salter. He's just beaten him, finished him in the third round. Austin Vanderford is next, ranked number two, 11-0, unbeaten but will definitely be taking on, uh, without doubt, the most seasoned, most decorated opponent of his career. It's a big jump up, even though he's a number two in uh, in Bellator. Number three is Costello Van Stienis, which is Gegard's own training partner. So I don't know whether those two would ever face off inside the cage. I remember talking to Costello a couple of years ago, and I think the plan was always for, uh, for Gegard to sort of either retire with the belt or to move up a division and then Costello to take over. But um, so not sure what's going to happen with him. Next on the list, though, England's own Fabian Edwards. He's uh, he's nine and two, but obviously he's coming off that defeat to Austin Vanderford last time out. So um, if he can get himself a big win uh, in his next outing, who knows? Who knows? Maybe he might be the next man to challenge for that middleweight title. But um, right now, Gago Masasi knows who he's going to face. It's going to be Austin Vanderford. Not sure when. I, I would imagine. Uh, right at the very end of the year, at the earliest. Uh, Vanderford was sporting a very, very swanky-looking elbow brace, arm brace during the broadcast, but he said uh, he said he'd be back in training within a couple of weeks. So I would imagine he'll be good to go any time within the next few months. So 
it's all down to whether Gagar wants to make a quick turnaround or not. But it'd be interesting to see where Gagar goes if he gets one or two more title defenses under his belt. That was the main event, Sandu. The co-main event is another it featured another name uh, who would be uh, familiar to longtime Bellator watchers. Andre Koreshkov, the former welterweight champion, looked really good on his on his comeback fight. It's been a while since we've seen him inside the Bellator cage. Took on Sabah Humasi, uh, Hamasi, who had a really good back and forth dust up with Paul Daly last time out. Uh, lost that fight, but Koreshkov went in there, looked absolutely superb, won a decision, and uh, he was unranked going into that fight because he'd been inactive from the Bellator welterweight division for for a long period of time, so like eighteen months or so. Um, but uh, yeah, he's back in the mix and he's a contender against Sandu. I mean, Koreshkov was champion, it seemed like not all that long ago. Uh, but now he's looking, he's the man not, sort of knocking on the door, looking to get back in again. Yeah, he lost to Douglas Lima, um, in the Bellator welterweight uh Grand Prix quarterfinal, and then he, he got a win against Michael Jasper, lost to Lorenz Larkin, and then he actually fought for AMC. That was an event in Sochi in Russia. So he actually kind of, I don't know if he got Bertor's permission or blessing, I'm assuming he did. He kind of, you know, actually fought for this Russian organization February of last year. So this is, I think, just before the world was beginning to change with COVID and what have you. And then, of course, um, oh, actually, no, he fought uh, this February of this year. That was the, the long gap he had um, before he kind of came back. So he actually fought for this Russian organization in February of this year, and then obviously he comes back and beats Sabah Hamasi this past weekend. Yeah, look, I feel like, you know, he's probably still got a little bit of work to do, Simon, if I'm being honest. Like, Douglas Lima and Michael Brennan Page are going to be fighting in London, right, in October. The winner of that fight has to be fighting for the title next. Yeah. Like, Michael Brennan Page, his record, his run, the one loss on his on his resume is against Douglas Lima. Douglas Lima, the former champion, taken on Michael Brennan Page uh, a second time. Like, the winner of that fight fights for the title sometime, you know, I would imagine early in 2022. And then from there, we'll see what happens. So Koreshkov, if I'm him, I'm staying busy. Uh, I'm staying relevant. Maybe get one, maybe even two more fights under your belt over the course of the next six months and just be ready for an opportunity should you win. Good to see Koreshkov back in the mix. That welterweight division with Bellator is looking pretty stacked. I've got to say, the other fight that I wanted to mention, Sandu, which was the one that I was the most excited about, was the bantamweight fight between uh, Rafian Stotts and Magomed Magomedov. Um, so good they named him twice, but not good enough to beat Rafian uh, Stotts because Stotts was outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. Uh, his wrestling was good enough to nullify Magomedov's wrestling, and uh, he was better on the feet. It was a good back-and-forth fight. But unanimous decision, quite rightly, went Stotts' way. And Stotts, whose teammate, Sergio Pettis, is the bantamweight champion, found himself in a little bit of a tricky spot in his post-fight interview. They're like, well, what do you want next? You're a contender. And he's like, well, you know, my boy my boy Sergio's got the belt. Um, so if I have to fight Sergio, then that's what we got to do, guys, you know. But if not, why not do a bantamweight $1 million Grand Prix tournament? And... Uh, Scott Coker was immediately tweeting that out uh, within minutes of, uh, of that interview. So do not be surprised if we get a $1 million bantamweight tournament in Bellator next. Yeah, I think I saw Scott Coker tweet that kind of as more and more of an open question, you know, hey, bantamweight Grand Prix next. And, and I kind of like that, Simon. Like that's the mm. one thing Bellator can offer that the UFC doesn't offer. 
And it's kind of a bit of an in-between because that's all the PFL offers is just every single year that you're going to have a brand new you know, tournament set up now. It's a little bit different with points and bits and pieces. But in terms of just an old school uh, tournament that plays out over, over the course of the year, I, I feel like Bellator picking one weight class and doing one Grand Prix a year is perfect. I think if they did two Grand Prix, it gets a little bit boring, gets a little bit uh, messy in terms of trying to keep track of what's happening. And Bantamweight is on fire. The talent that is coming through at 135 pounds is just incredible. We've already talked about how we feel like Bantamweight is the strongest division in the UFC. Bantamweight, I would argue, is the strongest division in the sport, period. And yeah. it's only going to be a matter of time before we start to see the performances and some of the incredible talent emerge not just in bellator but other promotions too so yeah i'm all for that yeah and uh you mentioned you mentioned pfl there they were running almost almost head to head pretty much head to head with uh with the pfl playoffs the first uh edition of which took place on friday night and it was the welterweights and the lightweights that took center stage uh at the seminal hard rock hotel and casino in hollywood florida and uh in terms of those playoff fights, the semi-finals. It was a bit of a decision fest. Every fight ended in unanimous decision. But that's not to say it was all plain sailing and uh, nothing to see here. There was a fair bit to talk about. And uh, starting with the main event, Sandy, Ray Cooper III, uh, the 2019 uh, PFL Worldweight Champion. Of course, there wasn't a champion crowned in 2020. They put the uh, the operation on hiatus uh, for a year. Obviously, they couldn't they couldn't guarantee that they could maintain the integrity of a full season. Uh, so what they did, they just put the the operation from a, a live event standpoint on hiatus for a year. So technically, he's the defending champion right now uh, at welterweight. Took on Rory McDonald, the former Bellator champion, former UFC uh, title challenger. And I think a lot of people were were looking to see, is this the moment that Rory McDonald uh, makes that makes that step? and uh, gets himself into the final because people keep going back to it. And I was there and I watched it happen live. That fight at UFC 189 with Robbie Lawler seemed to change Rory McDonald. He wasn't, the, he doesn't seem to have been the same fighter since then uh, compared to the fighter before then. And yeah, he won the Bellator belt um, going through the Grand Prix. Absolute kudos for that. That, that is no mean feat, but in a real firefight, he tends to not always come out of it. Uh, as well as his talent might suggest going in. And uh, Ray Cooper did a job on him, really. Just out outworked him, outstruck him, did a good job. 30-27s across the board. And uh, the, 20, the 2019 champion, Sandu, has got himself a rematch with Magomed Magomed Karimov, who won the co-main event against Sadibu C, uh, again by unanimous decision, again 30-27s across the board. Magomed Karimov, the 2018 champion. Um, so we've got champion versus champion for the next iteration of that belt. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing them. And they have faced off before. I think uh, Magomed Karimov got the win last time out. So, um, yeah, it was supposed to be Magomed Karimov versus uh, Brazilian Jao Zeferino. But um, he he was ruled out, I think, through injury. Sadabusi was drafted in. Uh, gave a decent account of himself, but couldn't couldn't do anything to prevent the Russian making it through to the final. But you've been up close and personal with the PFL, uh, Sandu. You've seen Magomed Karimov. You've seen Cooper. How do you how do you see this this potential uh, 
well, it's not a potential final. It is the final at 170 at 170 pounds, rather uh, breaking down on fight night. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one because I feel like look, Ray Cooper, he can crack Simon. He has got legitimate one punch knockout power in both hands. And I was actually having a conversation with a friend of mine as these fights were playing out, but in particular the main event. And he was like, "Well, it's a bit, a bit, it's a little bit lackluster, you know, just kind of." bit of a, a grapple fest kind of just seeing the the fight out you know get a get the nod by the judges scorecards and i said well look here's a thing right he could crack rory mcdonald and he could knock rory mcdonald out but what if he breaks his hand and that rules him out of competing in the final in the championship for a million dollars that's what it's all about so a lot of these fighters, as they kind of go through the regular season and get to the playoffs and then get into the knockout stages, it's almost a little bit of, you know, health management, body management. And that will play into your strategy in terms of how you fight. Um, once you get to the final, all, you know, all bets are off. Unload everything you've got in the toolbox to try and win the fight. But there's no point of going for, you know, crazy things that you know you're capable of doing, but that could cause you some uh, bodily harm and then that will rule you out of actually competing in yeah. what two months from now three months from now the well, that's another thing over. sandy right it's not the it's not when we thought it was going to happen we just talked about it before we went live normally it's a new year thing it's going to be end of october crazy because new year's eve i felt like pfl were owning that date and back in 2019 that new year's eve show the final the championship event was there best rated highest rated show of the year now it's going to be on a on a random i think saturday in october are they going to be going ahead ted with anybody else the ufc other competition that that's what was so appealing about that new year's eve uh, situation where everyone's at home there's no ufc there's no bellator you've got it all to yourself right so i'm very curious to see how this before uh, does in terms of viewership and ratings and, and all the rest of it but going back to your original question, Simon, Magomed Karimov, man, I mean, he's just another one of these incredibly talented Dagestani Russian fighters that has come in off the conveyor belt. He's been training at American Top Team for a good number of years now. So he's very much acclimated to North America. He gets it. He understands the game. And he's legit, Simon. And if you ask me to pick one or the other, I'm definitely going to pick Magomed Karimov. I feel like there's more paths to victory for him. And I feel like although Ray Cooper's got fantastic grappling and you saw that on display on Saturday night, or Friday night rather, against Rory McDonald, and he definitely has that knockout power in his hands. Magomed Karimov, I think all round, once he gets a hold of you, it, it's kind of like, it's not at that Khabib level, but it's pretty close. And I feel like sometimes when you see some of these fighters that mimic or emulate Khabib's style, they don't get the shine of the love because they're not in the UFC. They are perhaps fighting in Bellator or PFL. But trust me, this guy is that damn good. Injury forced him out of the chance to compete in the 2019 championship. Had he competed, we'd be talking about back-to-back -back championships for Magomed Karimov. He returns in 2021 it's been fairly plain sailing throughout the course of the regular season and obviously in the semi-final bout um, over the weekend. So, yeah, I think he'd be uh, the, the bookie's favourite and I'm picking him to win that final as well. Yeah, and you talk about that that final day. I've just checked. 
it's Wednesday night, October 27th. That is the Wednesday. day. Wednesday night, October 27th is the day of uh, the playoff finals uh, for for the PFL. So there you go. It's not going to be. I was. I thought I'll check the dates to see if it's going to go head to head with a big UFC card or a big Bellator card, and uh, it's not going to do that because it's going to be on a Wednesday night. So uh, there you go. Wednesday night MMA. That will be when the belts are decided, and uh, the lightweight belt will be decided on that night, of course. And uh, the final will be between Roush Manfio and Loic Rajabov because. First off, uh, in the first main card fight tonight, Rajabov defeated Alexander Martinez, gained a bit of revenge over him. Martinez beat him um, in the very first event of the season. Um, and uh, But both of them managed to qualify through uh, as as uh, in, in, in those playoff places. And uh, Rajabov turned the tables on him and knocked him out of the tournament. Unanimous decision win, 30-27, 30-27, So Rajabov, is in the final. Then we get Roush Manfio against Clay Collard, Cassius Clay Collard. And I didn't watch this fight live, Sandu, because I was on Bellator duty, but obviously I had social media open. And the reaction that I saw online to the result as it was announced was as strong as I've seen for um, any kind of, quote, robbery that I've that I've seen for a long time. Everybody I saw online said Clay Clay Collard won the fight. Everybody online I saw said Clay Collard won the fight. The three judges, however, all saw it differently. All of them scored it 29-28 to uh, Rush Manfio, who is through to the lightweight final. Um, and uh, as, as decisions go, that was a bloody expensive one if you're Clay Collard because that potentially cost him a million bucks. Um, you know, this isn't just a, you know, just another notch in the L column. This was a chance for a, a fighter who has been, he's, pl- he's plied his trade in both boxing and MMA um, over a number of years without ever reaching championship level in a major organization. He was one fight away from that. And everybody who I've seen online who watched the fight live said that he did enough to win the fight but the three judges didn't. Um, and uh, that seems that seems pretty sad. Uh, I don't know what recourse there is for this. Probably none. Um, they can't rerun the fight, I don't suppose. So it's, it's, it's a tough one. And when you see judging, you know, I think we see it far too frequently these days, but we do see it, especially now, especially with like the UFC holding events in maybe not the most... Um, the most seasoned MMA markets in terms of officials um, and judging like Texas. We've seen issues in Texas, Florida. We've seen issues in Florida. This was in Florida. And um, I didn't really recognize any of the judges names as being any of the regulars. And uh, yeah, poor Clay Collard, who in the eyes of everybody I know won the fight, didn't win the fight. So uh, it's a tough one. Same as you, Simon, I don't see the fight myself, but I saw, MMA Twitter explode um, when the decision went his way. But look, we've spoken about this in the past, Simon. Now, the PFL event so far this year have been held in Atlantic City, New Jersey. And I actually remember being, you know, in Atlantic City, you know, when I was working for them back in 2019. These playoffs, 
The last time around, we're in Vegas. This time around, they're in Hollywood, Florida. We've spoken about this, Simon. Right now, there are certain states that are open for business, and there are certain athletic commissions uh, that are open for business. Florida and Texas are the two that even the UFC, they're doing that loop, aren't they? They're doing Vegas, they're doing Arizona, they're doing Texas, they're doing Florida. These are the areas that they're operating in. They're going to go to Abu Dhabi later on this year as well. And unfortunately, these are the states that have probably the least experienced um, officials when it comes to combat sports. And it's the states that we're seeing the most controversial decisions. I, I can't remember the last time, over the last six months or so, how many controversial decisions have we seen? Honestly, it's almost like every weekend is something to debate and discuss and to, to disseminate and to, um, you know, cherry, you know, pick, you know, pick out. And it's it's unfortunate, but it is a part of the game. Unfortunately, you know, not every event and not every promotion is going to be able to run California and, and, and Nevada and Las Vegas, which have the most experienced commissions when it comes to combat sports. So I uh, feel for Clay Collard, but. It's just an unfortunate part of the game right now. And there's going to be more fighters that are going to get real, real hurt, whether it's the second half of their paycheck, whether it's the potential to fight for a championship or a million dollars in this case. It absolutely sucks. But unfortunately, like I said, it is part of the state of uh, mixed martial arts in, in some of these states, unfortunately. Yeah. And uh, our friends at Verdict, uh if you don't use the verdict app, do check it out. It's, it's it's a great resource. And it's great in situations like this where you've got a record of public opinion, if you like. Um, obviously, you've got MMA decisions, which is also a good a good uh, reference point for media members who they who who they follow, people who regularly score the fights on social media as they go. There's a record there of how the media members watching the fights score the fights. But on verdict. Um, their their global scorecard, which is uh, it's basically averages out the uh, the scores given by everybody who uses the app. Round one, Clay Collard nine point nine one to nine point one one. So that's that's a clear round to Clay Collard. Round two, nine point eight five to nine point one seven. That's another clear round to Clay Collard. Roush Manfio took the third round on the global scorecard, 9.66 to 9.34. So I think the general consensus is Manfio did all right in the third round and probably won it. And the final scorecard based on those averages, 29.1 to 27.94. So that's a big discrepancy, a 1.16 point discrepancy uh, on, on, on the final scorecard. So, um, yeah, that that tells you just how how big of a a difference between the opinion of those watching and the opinion of those judging actually was on fight night. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone watching was right. You know, judging is a very difficult thing to do, and uh, you know, if you ever sit there and try and score a fight, especially if you do it with a sound off, um, it's it's quite an interesting experiment to try. And then uh, if you tried that with, especially if you did it with like a fight pass show, if, if, if you want to sort of play a game with yourself, watch a regional event on fight pass, watch it without the commentary on uh, and, you know, without the sound on and just score it as you go and then turn it on for the, uh, turn it on for the verdict and see just how, see just how good your scoring is. Obviously you're doing it from the TV rather than from case side, but um, it isn't the easiest thing to do. However, when the outcry is as big as it was, 
on Friday night. And, uh, you know, the fact that all three judges got it wrong, that, that was quite a, quite a, a, a happening. And, uh, it certainly caught my attention while I was doing the Bellator coverage on, on, uh, on Friday night. Cause that, that was pr- all of that happened, uh, midway through the main card of, of, of the Bellator show. So, uh, you know, social media just went absolutely nuts for it. So I don't know what the answer is Sandra. I mean, is there an answer other than get the judges to, to, to score the fight more consistently and, and know what they're looking at a bit better, but what, you know, if, if, if you're Clay Collard right now, what do you do? Nothing. Just, you know, chalk it up to experience and say nothing I can do on to the next, you know, it's, it is, it is a tough one for him. Yeah, I mean, we could do an entire podcast in terms of, you know, what we would fix. I mean, at the moment, you know, you you talk about the unified rules of MMA, Simon. They're more like the ununified rules of MMA because depending on what state or country you're fighting in, the rules could be completely different. You know, not every state in the U.S. has adopted the latest unified rules of MMA. Some, some are still using the old, old older rules. And so that could play a part. And then obviously these judges, you know, need experience. And, and who are they? Who's get, who, who's hiring them? What kind of training are they getting? You know, I'd love to see some ex-professional fighters uh, perhaps have an opportunity. But again, do they want to do that? Is it lucrative enough? Is that a career that they even want to get into? So it's so unfortunate. And I hate this idea of don't leave it in the hands of the judges because you could, you know, have a, a belt of a fight be super competitive and just not get the finish that doesn't mean you shouldn't get the result and i'm glad that there's things like mma decisions i'm glad that things like verdict and, and who knows maybe something along the lines of changing the uh, how the judging criteria affects the scoring maybe changing the scoring system in general what if we had someone something like verdict in in place uh, that was the official you know scorecard because like you only have to look at their track record and you know, you show me a verdict scorecard, a global scorecard for any fight since they entered the scene that you disagree with. If you can show me one that you disagree with, right, we can have a conversation about. It. I just, I just haven't seen one yet, mm. and it's because of the average. It's because because of the aggregate score that they get at the end. Yeah. So it kind of like, it's the idea is is like the the few that perhaps don't know the judging criteria or how to score a fight that perhaps score it in favor of someone else or say for example there's a, a large fan base for a fighter the thing is there are so many people and so many verdict users it weeds out the the the, the crap it weeds out the, the the bad scoring so over the course of you know every round and every fight the aggregate the overall the the, the overwhelming majority of people that get it right will get it right for you. And I'd rather I'd rather take that option than leaving it in the hands of three individuals because all it takes is for two of them to have a bad night, not pay attention, not understand how to score a fight, for them to score it to the wrong fighter and, and get results like this. Yeah, the thing that was perhaps the biggest surprise to me was all three judges saw it the same. Um and that flying in the face of public opinion is very, very rare. Sometimes you'll get a split decision and it's a close run thing and you think, yeah, okay, that middle round was close, but I, I gave it to person A, but they've lent towards person B. And you can argue the toss on that, can't you? But for all three judges to be in agreement with the scoring is uh, is, is is pretty interesting. But, yeah, sucks for uh, for Cassius Clay Collard. Uh, I hope he uh, – 
I don't know what he's going to do next. Obviously, these fighters with the PFL, they're, they're contracted for the season. I don't know whether he's contracted for another season beyond this or whether he's going to, whether he's now effectively a free agent. But he's a good fighter to watch. He always brings it. He's a fun fighter to watch. So whether he has another run in the PFL next year or whether he tries his luck somewhere else, I don't know. But um, I'll certainly be watching. So uh, best of luck to him next year. Well, towards the end of this year, I guess. St let's stick with the PFL, Sandy, just, just quickly, because we've got the PFL and Bellator, obviously, we just had this past, this past Friday. They're back on again. They're back on again. They're not head-to-head -head this time. We've got uh, on, on the 19th of August, we have... PFL eight it is technically uh, for the 2021 season. The second the second playoff event headlined by Kayla Harrison. Uh, hot on the hills of the Olympic Games. We have an Olympic gold medalist headline in the event. Uh, Kayla Harrison uh, against uh, Janae Fabian. And uh, that is going to be that is going to be a really interesting matchup. If Harrison can get through that one, as many people would expect her to. To do so, striker versus kickboxer. She gets through that, then uh, she's fighting for a million dollars again. Uh, and it's women's lightweight and heavyweight. So we've got Harrison versus Fabian. We've got Larissa Pacheco, who I think was the finest last year against Taylor. Uh, Taylor Godardo, who uh, I think fought in the contender series, if I remember rightly, um, but is now in the PFL and has made it all the way through to the semis. And in the heavyweight division, you've got Bruno Capaloza versus Jamel Jones. And uh, Dennis Goltsov versus Anti Delizia. So, uh, yeah, interesting to see how all those pan out. The winners of those will end up in that big Wednesday night extravaganza on October the 27th, Sandu. Yeah, and obviously the star of the show this week is going to be Kayla Harrison. This is, like she's coined it, the Kayla Harrison Show. And I expect her to steamroll Jenna Fabian. Like you said, Simon, this is going to be a classic striker versus grappler contest. Even though I feel like Kayla Harrison's stand-up game overall has improved vastly. Um, but like I said before, it's the easiest, quickest path to the championship without risking anything. No funny business. I expect her to take Jenna Fabian down with her judo and then either submit her or, you know, defeat her by a ground and pound so one thing to note keep an eye on jenna fabian's uh weight cutting because she had a an absolute mare in 2019 um so hopefully she can make weight and it's all good but uh yeah you know this week's all about kayla harrison uh that will get a lot of media attention i'm sure because you know we're just coming out of the olympics um she's obviously you know on her second run with the pfl right now i think a lot of people expect her to sign with the UFC, if I'm being honest. Um, and, you know, if this championship event is going to take place in October, it's not out of the realm of possibility that she could sign and maybe even compete one more time for the UFC by the end of the year, if not early next year. And we know that she is able to make 145 pounds as she did um, in, in a contest not too long ago either. So something to keep an eye on. Amanda Nunes, Kayla Harrison, both American top team, they, I think, used to train together, and now they don't train together, but they are still part of the same team, which is interesting wrinkle to this story. But yeah, one of the big fights I'm looking forward to, you know, is going to be Amanda Nunes versus Kayla Harrison for the 145-pound championship in 2022, and I feel like that's where, uh, you know, everything is leading to on this uh, on this journey for Kayla Harrison. Yeah, and just uh, an interesting little wrinkle about about a fight. Fabian uh, trains at a City Kickboxing. Now we all know. 
City Kickboxing is renowned for producing superb striking talent uh, on the world stage. Israel Adesanya, Brad Riddell, uh, Volkanovski, you know, these guys can all do it. And uh, she's actually uh, head coach Eugene Behrman's cousin, uh, Wikipedia tells me. So, <laughs> um, must be right so yeah, it must be bang on. Absolutely. But, um, but yeah, so she's, she's relatively raw in, and, and, and new in her MMA career as well. So they're both kind of on the upward, upward uh, trajectory and, uh, you know, big opportunity for her as well. So interested to see how all of that pans out. And uh, yeah, that's this week's PFL offering. We're building up, of course, to the main event of the uh, the PFL players, which is England's own uh, Brendan Lochnane, who will be headlining his fight card in a week or two's time um, against uh, Movlid Kaibalaev, which will be an absolutely superb matchup at 145 pounds. I'm really looking forward to that. But that's the PFL. That's on uh, Thursday night, August the 19th. Following on Friday night, August the 20th, he says double checking his calendar. Bellator 265, Czech Congo, Sergei Karatonov, uh, two of the oldest swingers in town at heavyweight. They are headlining, headlining at the Sanford Pentagon in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, and uh, there's, some, there's some decent talent on this card Adam Boric and JJ Wilson. JJ Wilson's a lot of fun to watch. Adam Boric on his day is an absolute killer. That could steal the show. Logan Storley, outstanding uh, wrestler at welterweight. He's in action. Uh, Keith Lee is in action in a 140-pound matchup against John L. Lugo as well. So uh, some some decent matchups on that main card to keep an eye out for uh, on Friday night as well. S- Czech Congo, Sandu. I remember like I remember Czech Congo from years and years and years ago. He was training at Wolf's Lair and all of this sort of stuff and him and uh, him and Rampage Jackson and all this stuff. And here we are, you know, um, still going strong, still in the mix for, for a heavyweight title shot, which is incredible. Um, you know, he's currently ranked third in Bellator's heavyweight rankings. His career record 30, 11 and two. Um, he's got Tim Johnson above him. He's got Valentin Moldavsky above him, who's the interim champion. And of course, Ryan Bader, who is the current uh, undisputed champion but uh if congo gets it done uh against karatonov who isn't even ranked uh due as much as anything to uh a lack of activity um then you know he's going to be knocking on the door for another title shot so you know he, he's, he's still still doing it and he still looks like an action figure as well i mean he's, he's not he's not too much younger than me but he looks in significantly better nick put it that way yeah uh, you know check congo he i think he he wins more fights than he loses in Bellator. And, he, and his overall Bellator run has been pretty good for the most part. The thing is, that's, I guess, probably been held against him a little bit. He hasn't got too many finishes. He does go to the judges' scorecards a hell of a lot. Um, and I feel like Bellator in general, they're kind of in this kind of transitional period where they kind of have a lot of the old school legends and, and big names um, that I think Scott Coker first initially brought in. Um, to have some fun matchups. But what I've seen lately is the way they've been developing some of the younger talent, they're all blossoming now. Um, but I still feel like there are some divisions, heavyweight being one of them, where they perhaps need to inject it with some new, young, fresh talent, homegrown talent that they can nurture. Um, because Czech Congo, like a lot of the other heavyweights that they've got, probably more 
more so on the latter stages of his career. Um, don't know how many, how much more gas he has got left in the tank there. But you know, while you've got him, utilize him. You've got events to hold. You've got these distribution deals with broadcast partners, and and hopefully, you know, a heavyweight main event does the business, and we get a a good knockout there. Yeah, I'm just looking at his form, Sando. I mean, his last fight was. It was all kind of set up for him to really succeed. You know, he took on Timothy Johnson in the main event in Paris. You know, this was the first major MMA card to happen in Paris. Frenchman, heavyweight, main event, lost a split decision. And from from my opinion, deservedly so, I thought Johnson did enough to win that fight. But um, it wasn't a crowd-pleasing fight. Uh, the fight before that was a, was a, a no-contest against uh, Ryan Bader, where he challenged for the belt, accidental eye poke, um, and uh, Bader was left not at all happy about how all that went down. But before then, he'd won like eight in a row under the Bellator banner, and his his previous defeat to that was a split decision loss to King Mo back in 2015. So he does, he just goes through people and just grinds out decisions in the main. He got a couple of knockouts. He knocked out Tim Johnson, uh, in 2018, he knocked out Javi Ayala in 2018. But other than that, it's been it's been decisions, and not all of them have been unanimous. You know, we've had a few splits in there, we've had a few majority decisions in there. So he's not he's winning, but he's not getting the big highlight reel finishes that you sometimes see at heavyweight. And I think that's count against him. He's actually older than me, 46 years of age. So uh, for him to still be competing at that level at that age is pretty pretty remarkable. But I think he's he could really do with a big, a big finish. If he could finish Sergei uh, Karatonov, who has got a couple of breeze blocks for fists. Uh, if he can beat him, then, uh, then all, all, all bets are off and he's going to be right in there with a shot once again in that Bellator heavyweight division. So uh, looking forward to seeing what he can do against the big Russian on Friday night. So we've got two events sort of midweek, if you like Thursday, Friday, before we get to the UFC, on Saturday, but before we launch into that UFC card, Sandu, and uh, while I try and get this moth out of the room, uh, can you bring us up to date uh, with uh, a little bit of what's been going on on, on on social media this week? There's been a few few things flying around. Yeah, well, look, I'm sure everyone by now has seen it, but Nathan Diaz and Dustin Poirier have been exchanging some barbs on the Twitter machine, and look, we know that they were scheduled to fight not too long ago, a couple of years ago. Uh, with regards to the MSG show, didn't happen. And here we are, 2021, and they're going back and forth. And we do know that Dustin Poirier is not currently scheduled for a fight. Nothing's been booked between him and Charles Oliveira. Obviously, you know, the title is what he wants, right? He's been an interim champion. He hasn't been the undisputed champion. He wants to fight Charles Oliveira. That is there ready for him on a plate. But at the same time, what fight does better business? It's clearly going to be Nate Diaz versus Dustin Poirier. A Dustin Poirier that, might I add, is coming off back-to-back wins over the biggest superstar the sport has ever seen, Conor McGregor, right? It doesn't matter if Nate Diaz is coming off a loss to Leon Edwards, right? All people remember is that final blow that he gave Leon Edwards at the end of the fight. And at the end of the day, it's Nate Diaz. Wins and losses don't matter if you're a Diaz brother. People are just curious and, and they, they 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 have such a rabid fan base that they're just interested in seeing them compete and fight and be involved in a big UFC card. 
So it's going to be interesting to see what happens, Simon, and you know how this fight plays out, what kind of negotiations happen behind the scenes, what Dustin Poirier ends up doing. Because I feel like ultimately it's going to be his decision. I feel like the UFC are going to try and get him to fight Charles Oliveira. At the same time, Nate Diaz is by far the more lucrative fight. Do they get pay-per-view buy points and, and all the rest of it? And is it a five-round co-main event? Is it a, a headliner? Can you do Nate Diaz versus Dustin Poirier as a five-round co-main to Kamara Usman, Colby Covington in, in MSG in New York City? Very, very interested to see how this one plays out. But just uh, a penny for your thoughts, Simon, with regards to this uh, lightweight title picture slash asterisk Diaz brother involvement. Yeah, I, I, I understand why the DS fight has has appeal right it's it's a crowd pleaser of a fight it'll do if you compared that fight with Poirier versus Charles Oliveira I think the DS fight does bigger numbers I, you know I think it, it, it captures the imagination more but eventually there surely there comes a point for Dustin Poirier where you want to fight for the belt again and there is no no time like the present. He may never have a better chance than now to fight for and potentially win the uh, the UFC lightweight title. So if I were him, I would strike while the iron is hot. I would take the Charles Oliveira fight, uh, the, uh, the Nate Diaz fight. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think even if he fights for and loses uh, the title fight, I still think that Diaz fight is one that that, that could be that could eventually be revisited. So I don't know. I mean, do you want to know the ideal scenario? If you're, if you're, if you're Dustin Poirier and, you know, you're talking about pay-per-view points, uh, making money off, off the event itself, put Nate Diaz on the same card, put Nate Diaz on the same card, do Dustin Poirier and Charles Oliveira. So they get the pay-per-view points and he gets to fight for the belt, put Nate Diaz on the same card, put him in there with someone. Um, and, uh, then you still get a little bit of that Nate Diaz magic, uh, a little bit of that Nate Diaz shine because people will be tuning into your pay-per-view to watch Nate Diaz as well. So that might be the ideal, the ideal scenario. I don't know how you can even go about requesting something like that and whether that's even anything the UFC would entertain, but that's got to be the ideal scenario. If you're Dustin Poirier fight for the lightweight belt, have Nate Diaz on the same card, and then you still get, all of the the shine of having a Diaz a Diaz brother on your fight card, but you actually get to potentially walk away with a big gold belt and to be called champ for the rest of your life. So that's what I would do. That's what I would do. I think that Diaz fight will be there in three months, six months, twelve months, eighteen months. Hell, they could do it in the bare knuckle ring in three years' time. You know that 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 fight that fight is always going to be there if they want it. The title fight might not be. So I would I would go for that. That would be that would be my approach. Yeah, it makes sense. Again, all it's all going to come down to what Dustin wants, right? Um, whether there's a bigger payday with regards to an ATS fight or whether the, the UFC can sweeten the pot and get him to to fight Dust, you know, Charles Oliveira for the title because I think that's what they want. Yeah, I think. And also, you've just fought Connor twice. The Nate Diaz fight is not going to do the same numbers that the two Connor fights did. So, you know, it's kind of diminishing returns at this point. So... You know, what do you want? Do you want another a big payday that isn't as big as your two previous ones? Or do you want another payday that's not as big as the two previous ones and you can walk away with a belt? I'd go for the belt if I was him. Um, I think it's the one piece that's missing from his career. Um, obviously, he had that interim title, but 
You know, he wants the real one. You know, going there with Charles Oliveira, he's got the game to beat Charles Oliveira. I think it's I think it's it's kind of a coin flip fight, but I do think he has the game to beat him. So take the fight, go for it. Because win that fight, the world is your oyster. You can fight anybody. You know, all of a sudden you you know you could move up. If you want to move up, you could you could take on pretty much anybody. Um, and uh, you know, you also, regardless of what you do after that point, you can ride off into the sun sunset knowing that you've achieved the ultimate uh in the sport by becoming uh, a champion in the world's biggest MMA organization and legitimately a champion. So um, yeah, that would be that would be my approach. But you know, whoever he fights, I'm definitely gonna be watching. I love watching Dustin Poirier fight, he's just a He's a he's a he's a real fighter's fighter, isn't he? he? Just goes in there, he's good everywhere, and always entertains. I love to see it. Yeah, listen, and you can argue that he is box office, and maybe arguably one of the, the top five biggest draws and stars in the UFC right now. And that's what you know back to back wins over Conor McGregor will do for you. He's got a, a burgeoning hot sauce business happening. He's doing great things uh, with the Good Fight Foundation. So all round good guy and. You know, he's still in his prime and his best days are happening right now. And if he can become champion or whether he has money fights with the Diaz brother or a fourth fight with Connor, nothing but big things in the future for the Diamond. This weekend, it is UFC Fight Night back at the Apex. Uh, and uh, Jared Cannonier and Kelvin Gastelum are going to be uh, headlining this one. Both of them looking to really break that glass ceiling and get themselves into title contention. Gastelum, arguably the guy who has pushed Israel Adesanya harder than anybody else at 185 pounds. He he needs a win here against Jerry Cannonier, who is just a really, really tough campaigner and is always there or thereabouts at 185 without ever quite uh, making it to the very top. This is a tough one to pick, I think, Sandu. I mean, if Gastelum is on his game, I think he could he could get this done. But Cannonier is just... He looks like he's carved from granite. granite. He's just an absolute tank of a man and he's 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 solid everywhere man kelvin gastelum simon he is a lucky lucky boy he is one and four in his last five fights now yep. i will say this much the level of competition is incredible israel adesanya darren till jack commands and robert whitaker those are the four losses he suffered in his last five fights right most of them have been on this on the scorecards as well it was just the submission the heel hook uh, to Jack Hermanson, which was the finish. And he's got one win to his name against Ian Heinish, which, in my opinion, isn't on the level of the other names. So what does that tell me, Simon? That tells me that Kelvin Gastelum is good. Perhaps he isn't at that elite level at 185 pounds. And I feel like Jared Kananir, you know, he was on some incredible momentum up until he came against Robert Whitaker. And Robert Whitaker, there's elite, then there's championship level. Robert Whitaker, former champion. And, you know, he got the job done on the judges' scorecards. And prior to that, Jared Cannonier, TKO, David Branch, TKO, Anton Silva, TKO, Jack Hermanson. So looking at the form guide, looking at the resume, the names, um, and, and how these fights are kind of played out for both guys uh, and their respective opponents over the last couple of years, I'm definitely going to be leaning towards Jared Cannonier getting the dub here, Simon. I feel like Kelvin Gastelum is still undersized 
for 185 pounds. I feel like had he been a little bit more regimented, a little bit more you know, scientific and strategic and a bit more dialed in, he could be a legitimate welterweight. It's just he blew it so many times when it, when it came to stepping on the scales of that weight class. It's just, I don't know how the UFC would even give him the opportunity to do that again. And like you said, Jared Cannonier, Simon, he is chiseled out of granite. You know, this guy is absolutely humongous for 185 pounds. And he's got a lot of power. He finishes fights. And yeah, look, up until he came against Robert Whitaker, you know, a lot of people were thinking Adesanya would be fighting uh, Cannonier pretty soon. So I feel like I went over Gastelum. We'll just keep him busy, keep him kind of in the mix. I'm just baffled, though, at Gastelum getting yet another main event opportunity here, just given the run of form he's had. But all credit to him, his management. He seems to be in the UFC's good graces. Big opportunity for him. But I do fear this could be one of the last big chances he gets in terms of main events on a fight night or things of that nature. He needs a win. If he loses here, Simon, and he ends up being, what, one and five in his last six, that's going to be real, real bad, even though the level of competition is the best the UFC has to offer. So a big... Big time risky fight for KG this weekend. Kelvin Gastelum has been in there with Adesanya and pushed him, as I said earlier, harder than I think anybody has at 185. Absolutely brilliant fight. But as you say, he has to win this fight. He has to win this fight. Do I think he's going to win the fight? No, I don't. I think Jared Cannon is going to win this fight. I think he's just a bit too big, a bit too strong. Just taking a look at the rest of that fight card, particularly the main card, Sandu, what else is sort of popping off that fight card? Because, uh, it's not the most star-studded card, but there's some decent matchups in there. Yeah, there are. I mean, it's always fun to see Clay Guida uh, compete. The Carpenter feels like he's been fighting for a long time too. He's 39 years of age, and you know, um, he's at the the latter stages of a career. I feel like Simon, we're getting to that stage where I don't know about you, but I remember when I first started covering the sport as a member of the media. There's a lot of guys that were in their prime, and now, what, 10 years later. A lot of them are on the either retired on the verge of retirement, uh, but when I see some names pop up on these uh, you know event cards, I'm like, wow, such and such are still fighting, such and such are still competing, especially at the UFC at the highest level. Um, but yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, Simon, outside of that main event, there isn't honestly a whole lot that jumps off the page. And if I'm being brutally honest, um, the reason why I haven't paid attention too much to this. UFC card this particular weekend is because I'm not on UFC duty for BT Sport. In Damn. the world of <laughs> in the world of professional wrestling, it's a humongous week. WWE SummerSlam taking place at the Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. We're going to have Ariel Holwani on site for us for the very first time. He's going to be on site as a roaming reporter, doing lots of uh, great stuff there. So my mind is completely set on the world of WWE and SummerSlam, which incidentally takes place on Saturday night. Traditionally, these big you know, tentpole pay-per-view events from the WWE take place on Sunday. They've yeah. shifted it now to Saturday. So it's going to be very interesting because I feel like I'm part of that audience. I'm someone that is both equally a professional wrestling fan and an MMA fan. And I feel like there's a large chunk of the MMA community that is like that too. So I'm going to be curious to see how this week plays out with regards to what I see on my timeline. Is it a lot of chatter about 
MMA and the UFC? Is it more about pro wrestling, SummerSlam, AEW? So yeah, again, not the, the, the most stacked UFC event ever, but like Dana White always says, Simon, there's going to be a Saturday night fight night taking place. He's got fights. And if you're interested in fighting and you're on the roster, give him a call. Let Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard know because they have got a duty to fill uh, with their broadcast partnership with ESPN X number of events every year. So we're going to get cards. Now, the, the, the quality may differ here and there, but um, there's going to be cards. There's going to be fights on a Saturday night. There is going to be a card, that's for sure. The, uh, the co-main event, Clay Guida versus Mark Madsen, I think is worth a look. It's definitely worth a look. Guida, of course, has been going for years. This will be his 57th professional fight, which is insane. His last fight uh, was in February this year. He beat Michael Johnson uh, by unanimous decision, snapped a little losing skid there, um, beat Michael Johnson to ratch up his 36th professional win. He's taken on Mark Madsen. Uh, Mark Madsen is a former Olympic silver medal winning wrestler from the London 2012 Olympics. Uh, sorry, not London 2012, the 2016 Rio Olympics, I should say, at Greco-Roman. Um, he is undefeated. He is 10-0, and 0, and uh, this will be his third fight in the UFC. So uh, a, wrestle, a wrestling base uh, against a wrestling base. Both of these guys love nothing better than, uh, than to go in there and uh, physically dominate their opponents. So... Uh, it's the immovable force against, was it his irresistible force against the immovable object? So uh, at 155 pounds, that'll be worth a watch, as will be the flyweight fight between Alexandra Pantoja and Brandon Royval, two guys who uh, are within within striking distance of a shot at the the, uh, the UFC flyweight title. A big win for either man will put them probably one fight away. So that is a big fight for the UFC's 125-pound division. So definitely check that one out. That is currently listed as the second fight uh, from the start of the main card, which will be on uh, ESPN2, I believe, and ESPN Plus stateside, and BT Sport, of course, here in the UK. PFL Thursday night, Bellator Friday night, SummerSlam for you Saturday night, UFC for me Saturday night. We will be back next week, but before we go, Sandu, how can everyone get in touch with us? The BritPackMMA.com is where you can go and find us on Spotify, Apple, our social handles, YouTube, it's all there, thebritpackmma.com. Love doing this show every week. It's going to get bigger and better as we go along. Video is coming soon, I promise. Loads of fights coming up this week. We will break down the best of them on next week's show. Enjoy the fights, and we'll speak to you next week. Mm-hmm.